Have you ever been asked, or maybe even thought to yourself, why is the Bible so hard to understand? This week's podcast explores this question, and Kyle Butt provides responses to consider what hard means for you or for others. And then he discusses some thoughts for overcoming this discouraging idea. Why is the Bible so hard to understand? We've been asked that question many times, and it might be that we personally have had that question. Maybe we've been reading through something in the Bible and we have just not understood it. And we have sometimes heard from people where they have said, you know, if God is an all-knowing God and if He loves people so much as the Bible says He does, then why would He write a book that is so very difficult to understand? Let's analyze that question. And before we answer it, we need to look at the question itself. Because sometimes questions are posed in a way where something is assumed that is not necessarily true. The question is, why is the Bible so hard to understand? What if someone were to ask you, have you stopped beating your wife? Well, hold on just a second. That question seems like it's filled with something that needs to be fleshed out and needs to be understood better. You're in a dilemma there because if you say no, then that means it looks like you're still beating your wife. And if you say yes, it looks like at one time you were beating your wife, but you're not now. The question itself is flawed. So when we ask the question, why is the Bible so hard to understand? It's not really even a good question because there are many things about the Bible. In fact, the bulk of the Bible, the majority of the Bible is extremely easy to understand. The birth stories of Jesus, well, they're easy to understand. The trial of Jesus and the crucifixion of Christ and the burial of Christ and His resurrection, those are easy to understand. The commandment not to steal but to work hard, easy to understand. The commandment to love our neighbor, the commandment to love God. There are any number of passages that are extraordinarily and extremely easy to understand, so much so that we can teach them to our children and our children understand them perfectly well. You know, certainly the Bible does admit itself that there are some parts that are difficult to understand. Peter wrote about the Apostle Paul's writings. And he said, As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the Scriptures. There in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Now notice the statement. There are some things that are hard to understand. But what's the implication? But there are any number of things that are very easy to understand the rest of the Scriptures. And I think it's interesting that Peter says that the people who twist the hard things to their destruction are the same people who twist the rest of the Scriptures, which are easy to understand to their destruction. You know, I think it's very much like the study of physics. Can physics be very hard to understand? Well, certainly, physics, the study of it, can be very hard to understand. You start talking about trajectories and maybe even subatomic particles and various different theorems and things of that nature. It can be extremely hard to understand. In fact, people can live entire lives studying physics and they cannot understand everything about the physical world. But 
If we say physics are hard to understand, well, hold on just a second. Every two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, if we have lived a single day in this physical world, then there are lots of things about physics we understand. We understand you don't need to step in front of a fast-moving car. We understand, understand you don't need to jump off a 20-story building. There are any number of things that are extremely easy to understand. We might not be able to put the theorem on it. We might not be able to tell you the math behind it, but we can understand it. In a very similar way, if you were just to start in Genesis and go through Revelation, there would be a bulk of the things you would read that you would understand completely. And so that idea, is the Bible hard to understand or why is it so hard to understand, should be changed to why are some parts of the Bible hard to understand. And as we're looking at that, if you ask yourself, okay, so God wrote a book and some parts are hard to understand. Well, if it's God's writing and His Word, then doesn't He expect every person to know even the most difficult parts of what He has written? And the answer to that is no. God doesn't expect everyone to know the same amount about His Word. You know, for instance, if a person had been a Christian for 30 years and they had had access to the Bible for their whole life, would God expect that person to know more about the Bible than a person who is a new Christian? Absolutely. In fact, the Bible explains that to us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, we read about a person who has just become a Christian, and the Bible describes this person as a newborn, like a newborn baby who desires the pure milk of the Word. Well, it talks about how these people are starting with some of the elementary teachings of the Bible, and all they're expected to know is the elementary things. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, we read, For by though this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now notice in this passage that the people who had been Christians apparently for quite some time should have known more than they did. They should have been eating the meat of the Word, but they weren't. They were still just eating or drinking the milk of the Word, and the text there says they needed to be farther along than they were. And so what we see is that God expects different understanding from people who are in different stages of their life and in different stages of their opportunities to see His will or to see or read His Word. And so we then look at seven reasons why people don't understand parts of the Bible. Reason number one is that they simply don't read it. Several years ago, George Barna did some research on what people claimed to do and then what they actually did regarding the Bible. And he said people claimed to think that the Bible was God's Word and they respected it. It's the number one best-selling book of all time in the United States of America every single week, of every single month, of every single year. But then he started asking people some questions about whether they did read the Bible. And what he found out was that most people said they respected the Bible as God's Word, but they simply didn't read it. And he would ask them questions such as, who preached the Sermon on the Mount? And over 50% of those couldn't tell you that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. 50% couldn't tell you the name of a single Old Testament prophet. 
12% said that Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. And so you start to see that many people didn't know what the Bible said. And the simple reason they didn't know or understand what the Bible said was because they weren't reading it. You see, when God wrote the Bible, inspired it for His writers to put down on paper, He has a very clear way for us to understand what He intended for us to know, and that is for us to read the text. You go to Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 3 and 4, and the text says, "...how that by revelation He made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ." Now, what Paul was saying there was simply that there is no hidden information. There aren't any codes that you're going to have to flesh out from the second word from the left on every line of the original manuscripts, etc. He said that the way that you come to understand the Bible is that you read it. Now, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, he said, Until I come, give attention to reading. Now, you might be thinking at this point, hold on just a second, Kyle. Lots of people in the past, and there are about 60% of the people in the world today, they can't read. Is that saying that unless you can read the Bible, then you can't understand God's will? No. In fact, as you look at that verse from Timothy, that verse in several translations says, until I come, give attention to public reading. What we're saying there is you have to take God's Word in in some shape, form, or fashion from the inspiration of God. And that means if you listen to it on some type of audio, if you have someone else read it to you in a word-for-word manner, in a way that allows you to get God's message without some commentary from someone else. See, in order to get God's Word into your mind, into your heart, you have to have some way to do that, reading it or listening to it. And that, and only that, will allow you to understand God's Word. You can't understand God's Word if you don't take God's Word into your mind. And so reason number one that people misunderstand the Bible is they just simply don't read it. Reason number two, it's the flipping point method. I don't know if you have done this. I think I've probably in the past been guilty of it. We decide that maybe God will point us to the exact passage that He wants us to read, and we close our eyes, and we flip open our Bible, and we drop our finger down right on it. And we start reading. Maybe we start reading in Job chapter 22, verses 5 and 6. And we read about Job where the text says, Is not your wickedness great and your iniquity without end? For you have taken pledges from your brother for no reason and stripped the naked of their clothing. Well, hold on just a sec. If you read that, you're going to think that Job is a very evil individual and you're going to think that he had done all kinds of bad things, but he hadn't, and that was a message from Eliphaz, his friend, who later in the book you learn was absolutely wrong about virtually everything that he said. And so what we find is that if we're going to understand the Bible, we have to have some type of systematic reading of it. Can you imagine getting a new device, some type of electronic, and you decided you wanted to be able to change the clock on it, and so you said, well, I want to be able to change the clock on this device. I'm going to flip through this manual that I have. I'm going to drop my finger on the paragraph that I find, and I'm going to then go from there and use that paragraph to set the clock. Well, would you be able to set the clock, most likely, hitting a paragraph at random? No. 
And many of us have approached the Bible and just dropped our fingers virtually on a paragraph here and a chapter there and a verse there, and we haven't looked in any type of systematic way at the context. So something that is definitely going to cause us to misunderstand the Bible is if we take an unsystematic approach where we just decide we'll read one verse here and one chapter there and we don't look at the Bible as it is, a collection of 66 different books, some of them epistles, some of them books of history, some of them books of poetry and things of that nature, and take a systematic approach. So sometimes people don't read it. Sometimes they use the flip and point method where they don't read it systematically. And the third reason that many people misunderstand certain parts of the Bible is that there are customs that the Bible mentions, and sometimes they're ancient customs, that are not familiar to us. And so we'll read something and think, well, what, what does that even mean? For instance, if you were to go to Proverbs chapter 20 and you were to look in verse 10, you would read this statement. Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now, what, what does that even mean? Diverse weights and diverse measures are an abomination to the Lord. Here's what's being discussed there. In ancient times, there was a business practice of having two sets of weights. You had a bag, and you would have in that bag a weight that said one pound, but you would have two weights that said one pound, and one would be heavy and one would be light. And so when someone came to sell you grain, you would pull out the weight that was very heavy that said one pound, and you would put it right there, and you would say, okay, I'm going to buy a pound of grain from you, and they would pour it out until your weight evened out for the pound. Well, and you would take that grain, and you would set it aside, and then say someone came to buy grain from you. You would put that heavy one-pound weight in your bag, and you would pull a different, a diverse weight that said one pound, but it was lighter, and you'd put that on the scale, and then you would measure a pound of this grain to the other person, and they would buy it from you, and somehow you would have bought a pound and sold a pound, but you still had extra grain. Now, how was that? Because you had a diverse weight. You had a different one-pound measurement. And basically, all God's doing here is condemning corrupt business practices. Well, as you look through the Bible, when you see certain customs, you're going to look at those and think, hmm, I don't understand that. But many times when you do just a little research on those, you'll realize, oh, that custom was a custom that simply meant a fraudulent business practice or something of that nature. So diverse weights and diverse measures would be confusing to us until we understand the custom. Well, now we have three reasons. The person that doesn't read it, the person that practices the point and flip method, and the person who looks at it and doesn't quite understand the ancient custom. Now, the fourth reason could be that there are sometimes confusing and inaccurate translations. And here's the fact of the matter. The original languages of the Bible many times are not the languages that you or I are reading the Bible out of. And so those languages have had to be translated into ours. For instance, maybe you read English and you're looking at an English translation like the King James or the New King James or the English Standard, etc. And you run across something that seems very confusing to you. For instance, in Acts chapter 2, verse 31, you run into this statement in the King James translation where the text says, Seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. 
Now you stop right there and ask a simple question. Is the Bible saying that Jesus' soul went to hell? Well, if you read that, that's what it sounds like. And there are no perfect translations. And what I mean by that is we could take every single English translation and use an example from the text to show how this can be a problem. But right now we're using the old King James because it happens that there are a few very striking translation issues that when you look at them, they can be very confusing. This particular text looks like it says that Jesus' soul was left in hell. But the fact of the matter there is that the word hell is a poor translation of the word Hades. And the word Hades there means the realm of the dead where both righteous and unrighteous people go. The word hell in the New Testament, which is translated from the word Gehenna, meant the place where unrighteous people go. And so as you read different translations of that text, you will read that Jesus' soul was not left in Hades. Now that's very important. Because when Jesus was hanging on the cross and that thief was there with him and that thief confessed his belief that Jesus was a king and was coming into his kingdom and asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, Jesus didn't go to hell where unrighteous people's soul goes. Jesus went to paradise where that thief on the cross, his soul was with Jesus in paradise. And so it would have been better if the translation had said Hades, which is the realm of the dead where all souls go. And these souls are separated in Hades to paradise and torment that we see in Luke chapter 16. But the word Hades just meant the realm of the dead, all dead. But hell meant the place where unrighteous or wicked people go. And so the translation was just not as good as it could be to help us understand. You know, there's another passage, and it says this, and it's very interesting. It's in Isaiah, and it says, The unicorns shall come down with them, and the bullocks with the bulls. <laughs> now, hold on just a second. Did you know that the Bible talked about unicorns? Well, what do you think of when you hear the word unicorn? Yeah, maybe a better question would be, what does a seven-year-old girl in the United States of America think of when she hears the word unicorn? Well, I'm sure like most of us, you're thinking about a perfectly white horse with some type of magical horn that springs out of the middle of its head. And are we saying that the Bible is putting the idea of a unicorn out there? Well, the fact of the matter is the word unicorn just simply is translated one horn. And in this passage, it could be either a rhinoceros that has one horn, many of them have, on their nose or their head, or the actual translation, as you look deeper into the word, is probably better translated just a wild ox. But if you have somebody that comes to this and the only thing that they've ever heard about as a unicorn is a horse with a horn growing out of its head and magical powers, well, then you're going to have some confusion in this instance. So sometimes inaccurate translations can be a problem. And reason number five that many people or some people misunderstand some parts of the Bible is that lots of times there are people who are intentionally or maybe even unintentionally misleading people as they try to talk to them about what the Bible says. And God warned us about this. He said that there would be any number of people who would come and be false teachers. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the text says, Now the Spirit expressly says 
that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You see, God is warning us that there are going to be some people who are going to come and they're going to be telling you about the Bible, but they're going to be deceiving you. It's interesting to me that Satan, when he was trying to tempt Christ in Matthew chapter 4, he used Scripture to try to convince Jesus to sin. Scripture can be twisted, as Peter talked about with Paul's writings. And he said some people twist it to their own destruction. You can make the Scriptures say things, if you are dishonest, in using it in an illogical or unreasonable way. And you can make the Scripture say things that you want it to say when the Scripture doesn't really say that. In fact, we read about other misleading false teachers. When Paul called the Ephesian elders to him in Acts chapter 20, and he said this to them in warning. He said, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Is it true that many people will come in contact with those who are false teachers. Absolutely. Positively. In fact, we have seen any number of people claim to be teaching what God says, but those people are not teaching what God says. Years ago, there was a group that believed that they were following God's will. And this group was called the Heaven's Gate Cult. And they believed that God had somehow told them that they could catch a ride on a spaceship and about 30 of them all committed suicide at once because they believed they were following God's plan? Can a person be misled by a false teacher to believe or to understand or misunderstand something in the Bible? Absolutely, positively. So what do we do about that? How can we make sure that what we're learning and what we're understanding and what we're seeing is not a misunderstanding and we can make sure we're not being misled? Well, how did Paul say we needed to do that? He said, when you read, you can understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. We need to apply ourselves to the study of God's Word. I remember many years ago, a mentor of mine, Jerry Jenkins, was at a summer Christian camp and he was talking to the young people about this very point. And he said, you've just got to look at the Bible yourself. Otherwise, there's a good chance you might get misled. And he had a Bible and he held it up and he said, how many of you think that this Bible is two feet long? Well, it wasn't two feet long at all. It was probably only about eight or nine inches and nobody raised their hands. He said, you're right, we've got to have a standard. And so he pulled out a ruler and he measured the Bible. And he said, okay, now I'm measuring the Bible and I'm looking at this ruler. He said, now how many of you think that this Bible is eight and a, eight and a half inches long? Oh, and everybody raised their hands and they all were thinking that it was eight and a half inches long. And they were shocked when he said, hold on just a second. It's not eight and a half inches long. You let me tell you it was, but... You didn't look at the ruler for yourself. And he showed the person on the front row what the ruler actually showed, and it said that the Bible was seven and a half inches long. 
And he said, the only way that you will ever know how long this ruler is, is if you see the, how long the Bible is, is if you see the ruler for yourself. You see, if you let someone else tell you what the Bible says, if you let someone else explain to you what God is saying, and you don't read it for yourself, well, you're going to run into problems. And we find that Jesus explained this to us in John chapter 12, verse 48. He said, He who rejects me and doesn't receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. You see, there's not going to be a pop quiz. There's not going to be any new information. Jesus says, you'll be judged by my word. It's not going to be based on what your preacher said. It's not going to be based on what your mother taught you. It's going to be based on what the Bible says, what the New Testament explains to you from God. And that is going to be how we'll be judged. And so one reason people misunderstand the Bible is there are many people who are false teachers who are intentionally or unintentionally misleading people on a regular basis. Reason number six is that sometimes we have heart issues. I think one of the clearest explanations and examples of this is found in Jeremiah chapter 42 and 43. It's interesting that the people there who are left after the Babylonians have carried off all the rest of those people from Judea, they come to Jeremiah and they say, Jeremiah, will you please pray to God and find out whether we should stay in Judea or whether we should go to Egypt? And they say, we will do whatever God tells us. You go ask God, bring God's message back to us, and we'll do anything He says. And Jeremiah does go pray to God for 10 days and he comes back to the people and he says that you are instructed by God to stay in Judea. And they say, nope, we're not going to do that. God hasn't really said that. We're going to Egypt. And so they decide to go to Egypt and they totally refuse to listen to God. But it's interesting that Jeremiah says this about their attitude. There in chapter 42, verse 20, he says, For you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God. And according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare it to us and we will do it. They didn't do it because they had something they wanted to do. And what they found out God said was not what they wanted to do. Probably one of the clearest examples in, in my life that I've seen is talking to a fellow preacher of mine, and he said, this happened to me. He said, I was talking to a man who was questioning some parts of the plan of salvation, and I was showing him how the Bible taught water baptism and immersion for the forgiveness of sins there in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And this particular individual said, no, the Bible never says that baptism has anything to do with salvation. It never says baptism saves you. And so my friend, the preacher, took him over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, and he said, Will you please read that passage for me? And the man said, this was reading out of the King James Version, he said, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also not save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. But... And my friend stopped him and he said, Would you mind reading that passage again? And the man said, yes, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also not save us. Not the put And my friend said, would you read that again? And about the third time, the man tried to read it more slowly. And he said, the like figure whereunto even so baptism doth also now 
save us. He had been supplying the word not because he had come to the text thinking that baptism has nothing to do with salvation. Now, we don't have the time to go into the idea that the blood of Jesus Christ is what saves a person and baptism is the point at which a soul contacts that blood. But he was so determined before he came to the text that the Bible had to say something that he was supplying a word into the text that wasn't even there. Most of us don't go that far, but sometimes we're like those people in the Jeremiah's day, and we decide up front what we're going to believe, and if the Bible doesn't correspond with what we think it's supposed to say, we then say that the Bible is really teaching something that it's not saying. And that's why many people misunderstand the Bible. And number seven, reason number seven is that there are certain parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. Absolutely. The Bible itself admits there are some parts that are hard to understand. You say, well, hold on, that's not fair. Why would God make it where some parts are hard to understand? Remember that God is a just judge, and He never expects from us more than we are able to comprehend or more than we have had opportunity to comprehend. Each person is only expected to know what he or she should know. And doesn't it make sense that if God were to write a book, the New Testament, for our time is not very long as you look at how many hours it would take you to read it. It would take you less hours to read the New Testament than it would take to read several Charles Dickens books. And yet in that, and in the 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, God has inspired a book that can take the brightest and most brilliant intellectuals and they can learn something new every single time they read it. And a nine-year-old or ten-year-old can comprehend the vast majority of it. Is it true that we will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord? Absolutely, positively. So we would expect that there would be some things in the Bible right now that I don't understand, that I will understand in five years if I continue to study. And I will understand more in ten years and more in twenty years. And it's perfectly in accord with God's Word and His plan that the Bible is so deep that you could spend a lifetime and never understand all of it. But it is so easy to understand that a 9, 10, 11-year-old can read it and understand what they need to do to be following God. Let us pray the same prayer that David did in Psalm 119.18 where he said, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law.